Hello, this is We're Just Doing Us, a platform for conversations with people who, in the words of the late Binyavanga, are conversating and engaging with Africa as adventurers and builders. Sometimes last year, as Nairobi wound up its day and the night owls were settling down into theirs, Leo Career and I got chatting about a range of topics. Leo is a technologist, entrepreneur, and programmer who was trained as an actuary. He's the CEO and co-founder of MobiDev, an enterprise-grade software consultancy based out of Nairobi. The quality of the audio is a bit off for this experiment, uh, but I promise subsequent episodes will have fantastic sound quality. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Have you ever Googled your name? A while back, a while back, I think around 2012. And is it at least these journalists or the journalists? Yes. Oh yeah, this is a lead. He's American. He's an American athlete. Yeah. Yes. But he was born in Italy. Yes. Takes the credits. So yeah, he's taken all the. Yeah, but I really use my official names in social media uh, or anywhere. So, yeah. so you not if you search my official names, you really get. Uh, but if you had like your company's name, yes, it's not coming up. That, that, like that, that, that comes up. Comes up. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be a time, it used to come up also because of uh, high school and primary KCC stuff. Yeah. Because one of the top students in, in the country. You were in the to come up. Yeah. It was uh, quite fortunate. I've been in the top and both in primary and high school. Oh, nice. Uh, I think those records got deleted. So you went to Masenu? Yes. And you studied actual science. Yes. So how did you get into tech? So my journey with tech, I would first of all say high school. Because high school we used to do computer literacy programs. Sort of the first time I, I actually touched a computer. Which high school is this? Uh, this was the Boy Center. Yeah, so we used to, it was a requirement that you go through computer literacy classes. Uh, remember there was this Pentium, Pentium 2, Pentium 3, Pentium 3 computers in the lab and uh, we used to go there if not to play games mostly Lotus, Prince, Dave, the old games, the MS-DOS games and, and a few maybe learn a bit of word processing so you'd learn about MS-Word, MS-Excel during your, your years if you're lucky enough, you'd get a bit deeper and do Visual Basic and maybe Pascal. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's sort of the first phase of it, but mostly it was more games. There's a friend of mine, Masharia, he also comes, still comes to the office. They had, I'm a Guta. So they had a computer, they were lucky enough to have a computer at their home. And uh, of course, we used to go to their place to just play games, NFS. And it was NFS 5 or NFS portion that we really liked, so we used to replay it a lot with their place. And then after that, is when immediately after high school, the last high year in high school, at home I had a neighbor who had almost a very similar computer, Pentium 4, and had a typing tutor. Maybe it's Beacon. 
and that's what sort of helped me to get me towards technology I would say because I would sit on it and just do touch typing tests and that landed me in my first job so immediately after high school we used to have the two years gap before you join university you don't have so much to do so there's a company called Kenko Kenya I think it still exists so Kenko was a call center a call center but serving the US market this used to be in Mombasa yeah, Mombasa Road used to be at the current Samia Park. Behind, there was, there was a warehouse behind. One of the first places you'd find very good internet in Kenya. So it was there, and a bit of the internet providers in Kenya. That was UNET, Swift Kenya, based at Airtel building then. They were recruiting then. And I remember the poster, the, the request they had at the newspaper was they were looking for 24 years and above. I don't know for what reason, but... So I was told not, not to apply by my friend, because if you apply, you will not make it. It was weird, because if you apply, you will not make it. But if you just come for the interview, you are fine. Oh, yes. So the trick was, you show up during the interview. And since you are many, you are like 55, when, when I went for the interview, you are 55. So they read out the names I was not on the list. But you're already there for the interview. So what do they do? They just take you through the interview process. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they will hear this. But so they took <laughs> us through the interview process. And luckily, uh, in the computer world, the first interviews are you don't meet someone until probably the end. So the first interviews are taking tests and yeah. they're done typing, uh, typing practice. So out of 55, we remained about 20 of us. The second test was transcription. Listening to US-based uh, audio and transcribing them. So I had watched so many movies in high school, series. I was a fan of OC, I was a fan of Prison Break, I was a fan of Major Mama. So the, the American accent was really good at them. And we got to the transcription. The pass mark was 3. I got 2.5. But my typing was really good, so they considered me for the final, which was face-to-face. And now that's where there's a problem. There's a five-member panel. And when I got in the room, they asked me how old I was. I was 17 then. You were a teenager? Yeah, so I was a teenager. And they said, did you know that we're quite 24-year-old? said, yes, I saw that, but I knew I would do the job. I can do the job. They said, there are little requirements. You at least need a tax number, and a but I was almost getting to 18, so I told them maybe we could do a probation because I was one month away to just getting that contract. I just delayed the salary for that time. That's what we did. So we gave me three months probation. Nice. And night shift. I really like night shift because when you're on TGG, you're trying to avoid home. Night shift is a good time. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of how I ended up. I would say I ended up in tech because that that process of going through Kenko took me to improved my typing speed, I moved from 25 words per minute to over 50 words per minute touch typing. And I had very good internet. Like, we were doing 5 Mbps at that time. Oh, nice. Yeah. The only place where you would watch a, uh, a YouTube video without buffer yeah, in Kenya. Then. It was quite enlightening. And because of dealing with US clients, you get to know lots of these businesses, how they run. And by the time I was going to university, I already had that technique. But Maseno had a thing. We used to make fun of it. We used to say, 
uh, everything with IT, like if, 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 even if you go to the mess, like you order rice and beans with IT. Yeah, so it used to be a joke. I actually remember blogging. I used to write blogs a lot those early days. So I remember blogging about that joke with IT. And uh, it's actually a very serious thing. And, and the professor, it's called Professor Onyano, who introduced that all students should go through IT, was very brilliant. Because he had foreseen what, what, how the world was going to come back. So you would see education in IT, uh, any, any given course as the IT aspect of it. It was not a joke, because the kind of IT that you go through involved even programming. I remember we did our first Java class, we did HTML, we did things like uh, system analysis and even information systems. At that level, uh, was just an eye-opener. And then, actually it's a map-based course. Map in itself is about problem solving. And when, you, when I looked at the programming, the Java we were doing, the HTML we were doing, it was more problem solving. And so I, I enjoyed more getting into the computer classes and even got roommates who were computer, computer science students. That's, that's sort of how I drifted towards software development. And there are some things that I thought were very easy because of my background at Kenko. And so I would just put the extra effort to just help them handle that. And I saw that this would be something that I could, I could do. When you were interviewing for Kenko, yes. this was which year? Kenko was 2007. 2007. Yes. And uh, how did you get to learn about the job? There was a classmate. There was an advert on the newspaper, and also there was a classmate who, who had gotten in. And he's the one who advised me that don't apply, just, just, just come and make sure you're good. In Maseno, besides the, besides the mandatory IT classes, the other guy was very smart, because considering now we're in a world where technically, if, 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 if you're also being realistic, we actually haven't gotten to, to this future in Maseno. We're yes, just like getting into it. Yes, if you look at what Onyango, Professor Onyango was, his thoughts, he was quite futuristic. Futuristic because one of the major courses at in Masana's education, for example, it didn't make sense then to subject education students to IT or even programming. But look at what has happened now. All teachers do their appraisals online. There's a system called TPAD where all teachers are supposed to file would call some sort of returns every three months. My, my mother's a teacher and I know how long I've taken to just train her, go through at least she's confident enough to upload the reports. And in her school, I think there are only two people who know how to use that system. So she, is, she ends up doing for them. Other teachers have to go to a cyber to pay 500 or 1,000 shillings to just file those returns. I imagine every student who went through Maseno with IT is not one of the people asking for help. And it's simple, fill online forms. Now, imagine whereby we're getting into even education is going online. The teachers who have that know-how of system development, even if they're not programmers, they are way, way ahead of anyone else who did not go through that process. I actually have a friend, he's a teacher and he studied education in Australia. And for a long time, one of his side hustles has been doing these like gossip blogs. Yeah. And then like he monetizes with Google. You can tell he's very comfortable in that one. It's not like something very new to him or very foreign. 
So that idea spent really help. And it cuts across because uh, if you look at the people who did, uh, even the people who did ecotourism, ecotourism and just the fact that you added an information technology aspect of it, when you go to an organization, you're able to even help them, for example, attract like foreign tourists yeah. to the country. You, you do their strategies for, for even online presence just because of that simple aspect of an understanding. How did you transition from material science, of course, this side of IT and the experience to what you're doing now? And uh, maybe you can start by explaining what you're doing. So currently I run a software development company called Mobidev. Uh, you can check us out at www.devs.mobi. And uh, I would tie it back to that switch that you are asking about. Um, actually, to software development. I would not call it switch per se, because I think they are linked. Actually, is about using lots of data, or data itself, to do prediction. If you look at where software is at the moment, it's just Exactly that. It's only that when, when we were in the actual class, I looked at the data and all the data was pointing at software development going to rule the world. So using that information, I think it would be unfair not to use it. First of all, uh, you know the hypothesis is, in this case, a software is going to rule the world. And you've done that analysis and you see everything is going towards, is convergent towards software. And then the convergence was mainly the mobile phone. So in itself, it, it will not be then not to go the software way. That's, that's the first thing. But the actual concepts in themselves, I think, apply almost everywhere in our day-to-day life. We may not realize it, but a good example would be, let's say, if, if you go to a restaurant, just any restaurant, Java, if you monitor someone who goes to any of these spots, they probably sit, even sit, almost at the same location. Over and over. Over and over again. They probably have almost one or two spots that they like sitting. Even if it's outside, they think this person sitting almost the same place. That in itself is data you collect that establish some trends. So if you're targeting this person with something, an advert or you're trying to upsell this guy, you sort of will map out and say this guy, Abu, comes to Java Westlands mostly at 5 to 6 p.m. and sits at this location. That in itself is used lots of mathematical calculations and predictions to just come up with that simple. That in, it, in, it, in itself is what you learn in, in math and probability class that you, you now apply even to, to software development. Yeah, so, so the concepts the concept themselves that we learned in math class are being applied heavily in software development. We are at the age where there's lots of predictive modeling in the software world that I think it's very hard for someone who did computer science to understand but it's very easy for someone who did not get into software at the moment because they already understand the core concepts. That's why we are having it's one of the challenges that is happening now in the software world is someone who did computer science tries to do machine learning, then realizes the first thing you have to learn in machine learning is calculus or probability, just even probability distributions, maybe a Poisson distribution, for example. They just get that map and they just, their brain shuts down because that's what they want to put. They're used to. When I come from a math background, you're able to easily transition and implement core concepts in, in, in the software world. So that's sort of how I transitioned and uh, saw what was happening then, so that the mobile technology was going to take, uh, take over there. 
So we started with the old Nokia Symbian S40, S60, used to call it Javani application development. Uh, that quickly fizzled out, especially when Nokia was bought by Microsoft. So there was Windows Phone, so you move with the trend, there was Windows Phone that came up, we did a few Windows apps, then also died off. Then Android really grew and grew in usage and matured as a platform and took over the market. Uh, so we moved into Android but still maintained the low level SMS USSD apps. And of course now even mobile money matured uh, and best matured now it's, it's, it's quite a very mature platform able to integrate very nicely with systems. So adding that to our portfolio and of course iOS which has also changed from Objective-C now to Swift. So putting that, I would say that's, that's sort of what we worked on for quite some time. So I was, I was just like had a thought, but I guess it's, it's been, uh, I was going to say like the first entry into the Nairobi text, if I could use that term, but it just hit me that uh, Ken Paul was like, part of the Nairobi text. I mean, yeah, it, it, it depends on how you take it, yeah, but Ken Cole is, I don't know if it still is, but it was a major player. So I'm going to rephrase it as now your, your second entry now into the Nairobi taxi. Oh, when how did that happen? Again, by some luck, you know, when, uh, as soon as called the flow of information, 20, 2011, because that year, I see a friend of mine at Moi University, it's called Michael Garth. He had applied for a pitching event at the IAP. Some venture capitalists were coming to set up locally to CTH and pitch. They had, a, I would say, a brand or a web blog called Human IPO. Ah, oh, it was a blog, yeah. Yes, Human IPO, where they were calling for applications in different categories. He had something, uh, an idea. I read it and I thought, okay, fine. Seems there's still time to apply for this. And they had done it very well because you, you, you just submitted your idea online and then you had peer reviews, ratings, comments on the same and you would improve the version of your application uh, online as you go by until the pitch day. So we had something on the financial world because being from where I come from, I from financial background and I thought why not try this? So it was a savings and lending product. Way, way, way early, way even before I'm sure. We were calling it effortless savings and borrowing. Imagine, like, we, we, we were figuring out what Feliz is doing now. Like, you're doing your borrowing on demand, only what you need. You see, Feliza does not make you borrow 5,000 when you just need 100. But you can reborrow up to your limit. Also, the savings, the savings was meant to be effortless in your expenses. Like we're just from a supermarket, we should be able to set up just the same way the anti-fulliza now. Like if I'm spending 900, I can choose to every time I spend 900, 10% goes into savings automatically. So that, that was the essence of it, like inculcating savings into expenses in itself so that we don't have to think about savings. We just know that because it's always advised that you put some money into savings but most people just, you don't follow that. So how do you just make sure that it's part and parcel of what you do? So that's what we, we pitched. It had lots of interests, I would say. We really tried to roll out with a number of organizations locally. But I thank God we did not even get the funding. I think what I know now and what I knew then, we would have wasted that money. We knew a bit of Java here and there. 
we had a Jar file that sort of had a portrait. And just the sheer amount of work that is needed to just deploy such a system, we will not do it then. Now we can, with very good confidence, but you know, this is the idea and then it is just the fact that you really don't understand what it takes to roll out such a product. And when you don't understand, you, you spend a lot of money either in research, making the mistakes. So I really thank God that we didn't, we didn't get the funding. It would have really messed us up because we were very young and foolish uh, and we thought we were going to conquer the world. Then we used to have lots of also naivety. The think that someone's going to steal your idea here, left, right and center. Uh, glad we really got, got, got rid of that. You don't think someone can steal your idea? No. no. Someone can steal an idea. Someone can steal an idea. It's, 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 ideas are there and they are open for anyone. And if you are the only one thinking about something, then you are wrong. Yeah, I don't want to shame someone, um, but I saw this. I see. I, I thought it was in the news or some, some other platform where some 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 person was claiming that Safaricom took the reverse call idea from them. Yeah, that, that reverse call thing. That reverse call thing has existed for years. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like a change of platform. Yeah. It used to be like there for landlines. Yes. And uh, there's a guy I can't remember who, who said. I think it was a professor somewhere. Who said that if you think your idea is uh, unique, you just need to search it on Google. See. How many hits you're going to, to get after effortless lending and spending? That was the name of the, the platform. We're calling it M Save. M Save. Yeah. So, so you did M Save. You didn't win. Yeah, we didn't, and we thank God for that. <laughs> we, we spent we spent about forty eight hours trying to make it work. Uh, it it, uh, it did not work, uh, but the concept was really nice. We got some mentors to push us here and there. Uh, we've got some good audience in some major banks here, even in Adelco, even at Safaricom, we've got some good audience. But we, as I said, we thank God we did not go ahead. Because we didn't even know how to support 10 concurrent users. Yeah. yeah. So what was the name of the competition? It was called IPO48. IPO48. Uh, IPO, I think it was more of in 48 hours, can you sort of build and run a product? and oh. offer shares to the public. Is IPO48 the same competition that gave rise to Gafla? Yes, we were on the same, the same day we were pitching. The first time Gafla was pitching, Mr. Majan was pitching, we were there. The first time uh, Wezatele, Hilda and uh, Sam yeah. were pitching, we were there. The first time there some Tusky systems, they are now semi-type of pitching, we were there. What about Pesacek? Pesacek was... Uh, it, was it was called Pesatok. Pesatok. Pesatok by the Masharian. I don't remember that pitch, but I remember they were part of the ATH. Eventually, it's moved to Abacus. So, that network in itself, you see the guys who've, who've gone through that process and you see they're doing great stuff now. They've really gone through the entire cycle. They're doing product and failing. Doing a product and succeeding, doing a product and selling. So it was quite a, I would say, quite a good team and interaction. After that, then you went back to school. Yes, so we went back to school just complete campus, which is a very very good thing. One of the things we went back with was with lessons, and then that's the time we actually agreed with two of my friends that we're going to try out take entrepreneurship for two years. Which friends are these? This is uh, Joseph Mukor and uh, Joseph Langat. They were my roommates in campus. 
So Joseph and JJ. Yes, and, and JJ. Yes. And JJ and Guru. Guru. Those, those are their nicknames. Yeah, and the <coughs> co-founders at MobyDev right now. Yeah, so yeah, the co-founders, we used to be roommates and I remember us sitting down just discussing what next after campus. So we decided to give ourselves two years, just try out stuff. And just to make sure that we were not going to apply for jobs, we did not take our certificates. In fact, we never cleared university. We still have our clearance forms somewhere. But we graduated. We <laughs> graduated. We just did not collect the certificates. We were to go back for them after two years. Seven years down the line, I don't know if we'll go back. I thank God and I hope we don't go back for that. It's interesting like seeing how that conversation has now turned into this company that you run. So how how did MobiDev start? I think after that decision to start something in the tech world, we had a name. It's not only MobiDev. We're calling it JavaNet. You know, when we left campus, we changed the name to Master Group for a while. Then we realized that we did not have the confidence. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there was a program by the World Bank through MLab and uh, Immobilis. So we joined MLab and Immobilis, and that's when we met some of the guys we started now official Immobilis. So the name came out of you now our class in MLab. We were 25 of us just learning about mobile development and entrepreneurship. Just sort of for us, it was more of building the confidence that we could implement things that we could. So that's, that's sort of how it started. And then the things that you sit down and your gut feeling is quite this. When we were coming in, even for Ipo for Kid, that was the second time that competition was being held in Kenya. The first time it uh, brought in guys like MFAM. And then even when we came to the ecosystem, the tech ecosystem, there were already guys who were ahead of us, let's say, like uh, Med Africa. And then there was, of course, MFAM place called M-Shop. It was wife. Wife was by gentleman I really respect called Karanja. Karanja was running a payment platform called Pesapi. Now he's running Bit Africa. So these are the guys we, we saw and we tried to. There was also our friend for Mobi. He still runs for Mobi. We, we saw and we were trying to piece up together what works, what doesn't work. And still we were not even confident on what to do. There was really a push to make sure you focus on one thing and you really being a financial guy, I am trying to spread my risk. Spreading risk in itself is making sure that even if something happens, you have a fallback plan. So that's why we started from that good to just do consulting. So guys, let's try consulting. Let's do solutions for the enterprise world. Let the enterprise market pay for research and development. And let us learn. Let us be pushed. And fair enough, yes, that is sort of how things happen. Our first project was with an insurance company local. But that movie has guys who are not like they use a conversation at Market Marcelo. Like you have guys who didn't go to Marcelo. Yes. You met them at this InfoDev program. How did they come on board? It was actually an open call. One day we stood in front of the class and asked them, anyone wants to join? Just let's meet after class. 15 guys showed up out of 25. And since you don't know how to handle 15 guys, we decided to give ourselves time. Said six months. Let's see who will remain. After six months. So after six months, that number reduced to seven. So we registered at this system, and then that number eventually reduced to six and five, and then went back to six. But how did you get the name MobiDev? As I said, we were doing mobile application development. So the first side is just about mobile, and then Dev is from development. So MobiDev. So there were a bit of integration. There was lots of what our guys were ahead of us were calling MV2s. 
see a person and something and something. And we do not want to go with that connotation. So we said, okay, let's twist it a little bit. Let's go with movie. And then Dev sounded very nice because of it seems uh, organizations like it for Dev. There is a mention of some product called movie agent somewhere in your story. Can you talk about that briefly? I think there are things in life sometimes you try them out and you really believe that they work out. And one of them is movie agent. I think when we were starting this conversation, you mentioned something like uh, the conversation is about we're just doing us. Yeah. And it's about the experiences you, you've gone through that sort of it would take someone else lots of research. So movie agent was mainly about using the kind of experience and information that someone has. So Mobigen started with like anyone with a phone. It was an agency system on phone. And the concept was so simple. Like the people who are in my phone book and we did research and realized that sort of guys have minimum of 100 contacts in their phone book. Some had as high as 700. Out of the 100, they have some 20 or 30 guys that they really have lots of information. Some of them 20 years worth of data. If you ask me about Guru, if you ask about my brother, my sister, I have probably 20 years of data. Systems or applications, Facebook, Google, Instagram, are trying to collect information. This information is ready with someone. Delegate that sort of, why do we need to collect data that already exists instead of delegating that information to someone who already has that information. A good example is, is an upcoming jazz festival, for example. If you want to sell jazz tickets, Will you do an application that scraps the internet for guys on Facebook who have an interest in jazz? Or will you give Leo 10 tickets to sell to 10 of his contacts that he for sure knows will attend a jazz festival? I'll tell you, Guru will not attend jazz festival. No need of spending adverts bombarding him. <laughs> he, will not, he will not go for a jazz festival. He will go for spoken word. Yes, but he will not go for jazz festival. Yeah, so that was the simple idea, like, data already exists, we should not be fighting to just collect it again, let it rest where it is, and then let's sort of use it from the source where exactly it rests. So that was more of uh, building an agency network right to the individual level. And the second aspect of it was everyone was everyone is trying to come up with a, a network. So it was a product of Mobile Yes, it was a product of Mobile Everyone is trying to come up with a network, you have investors with the agency network, you have with the agency network, uh, someone trying to distribute a new product has to establish a new agency network. Why don't we share this? I should mention that it failed terribly. Oh, why did it fail? Because <laughs> I saw that you guys got an uh, investment. Margins. Margins of product risks. Retail is hard. Do you also think, like, given the knowledge you have now, because everyone, um, everyone went the other way, like the guys who are doing this data thing, they went the other way, opposite to what you guys did, they just collected it, they became data aggregators, and now they, they control the data. So, do, do, given the knowledge you have and your experience, do you think you could still go the same way that you did, but if you were to do it all over again? Yes, I still believe no amount of data collection will give you as much accurate data as someone sitting in someone's brain. We will still implement it the same way. We will just change what we are pushing to people. Products and product risks will just on another level. What are you pushing to people? So we started with tickets. tickets. We started off with uh, tickets and then there was uh, there were some guys who were selling solar lamps and we were trying to push it through our agency network. And the margins of the solar lamps and the returns 
depends on very minimal returns or high so you end up spending a lot of time back and forth and also our payment system do not we do not really integrated well so commission calculations don't don't work in that way and disbursement mpesa itself has not like not, not matured even getting a disbursement to pay was a challenge a consultancy was to roll your lab like where you, you just learn all these things and then you earn while at it and then you grow as well so how has that been so far i said we've really learned a lot at some point in this discussion i mentioned that i thank god we didn't get investment for lending and service platform because one thing you learn in payments is you'll one day be asked imagine four guys coming up together probably one technical or technical and do business and then they approach a bank or a telecommunication company that we want to do something on payments forget about the application now the application is working then you're told uh, in order to process payment to receive payments you need connectivity very simple one then you get what kind of connectivity told a vpn virtual private network. You have no idea what that is. You have no expertise whatsoever. You have two options. Either have the money to pay someone to implement it or spend six months just trying to figure out what that is. As a startup, you will go for six months because you probably don't have the money. And then probably you load, after six months, they've lost interest in what you're trying to do. Just because of a simple virtual private network that you have set up. That's something that someone with an idea does not know. Consulting pays for you to learn. Because some of our early clients pushed us to integrate to Telcos, we integrated to Safcom, we integrated to Vodacom, Tanzania. At the moment, we've integrated to almost like half the Telcos in Africa, at least. So we know what it takes to do an integration, what it takes to maintain integration, what it takes to actually even do reconciliations or backup plans, fail failure plans. Because reliability is one thing that when you're in a startup, you may not really figure out. But when you're in enterprise market, you must offer that kind of reliable service. And so it has really helped us. Of course, in the process also, the other outcome or the other indirect thing that you gain is networks. So you talk to the who is who, being as introduced by whoever you're doing the project for. And these contacts remain with you long after the project. And you get referrals. And apart from that, since you've done something similar, products come up that easily implement. Can you just like name some of the products you guys are, are, are working on or like the ones that you can talk about? Yeah, so this is a product called Uchakuz Itali. Seasonal that we roll out during elections for the entire process of managing an election from a candidate perspective. Mostly just to address the issue of if you've been an, an election agent for anyone why the chances of you getting paid are almost zero whether and your guy loses whether <laughs> the person loses or wins most of the time it's not that that person does not want you to get paid it's the middleman they actually get the money but they don't win this person so that's one of the challenges that we are trying to, to figure out like how, how do we make sure that process is smooth enough so we built a platform that can help you manage to recruit your agents assign them to the polling station polling station level whether you want one or two and then help that these agents do reports when you're campaigning during elections like opening reports midday reports closing reports estimate the number of people who've turned up to vote and eventually transmit results and then it has worked wonderfully because we've had more than six deployments so far. The last deployment during the elections we did for a number of governors and I remember I was in Kericho then and it was quite interesting to just see the 
just three minutes, two minutes after they've been announced station at the polio station. So it was just magical. Like in less than 30 minutes, we already had most of the results, like almost 90 percent, already knew that he was winning. So even the competitors were wondering where are these guys getting the results from. So we had an app, we had a web platform. As soon as you're getting the results and you're authentic, uh, as much as you're not supposed to share, of course, some screenshots were going around. And those screenshots had polling station data. Someone would actually go and verify and say, this is actually true. And these guys have these results from a remote area that you take. And those results came after three days yeah. to the official dialing station. Yeah. So, so it was quite, quite an interesting thing. Payment being done by MPES also, someone gets money immediately after they send the results. Very efficient. So after we deployed, we deployed. Okay, we deployed in Solo, almost across the country, Meru. Uh, and we hope to deploy also out of the country. We're trying to push for something in one of the southern, southern African countries. But we are also improving it to make sure it's not just a tool to election period. So party management, the entire management of party affairs across the five five years. It will be the first solution to ever do something like that. So other than Uchiguzi, you said you have Vasiliana. Yes, what is Vasiliana? Vasiliana is working for communication. Part of our consulting work we've done a lot so lots of integration Can we just offer our clients a more reliable platform because we had some reliability issues with some of our providers. And can we offer direct connection to the So two things. It's specifically just internal first. Like, can we do that? And of course, there's the licensing bit that takes some time. So we got a license from the authority. Now we already had integration, so just it was easy to integrate to telcos. We eventually started offering this kind of solution: SMS uses payments, airtime, voice for some of our clients. And then, of course, this is what now we are releasing to the general public for the first time. And so we. We've done it as developers, we know the challenges we face as developers. We provided one of the most reliable ways for systems to communicate. And one of the things that we want to really push for is for it to be as natural as human conversation. Building things like context for communication, like a USSD request coming up with a context, a photo request, so that as a developer it helps you validate. If you had asked someone for their, for their amount, you expect something coming apart from numeric. We already have a contact that this response that's coming in is at the moment. You just validate from the code. Uh, we are also building up tools that can help non-developers to build this kind of applications. Like a USSD platform should not be something that a developer spent a lot of time to just build menus. So we have a, a graphic user interface for someone to just build prototypes and roll out. Of course, the other thing that we suffered as developers is the costs. USD just costs for setting up USD. When we were starting up, we needed about 200,000 just test out USD. Now we've made it free. You literally can get to Wasliana and get a USD extension for free. Yeah. And we'll charge you just for what you just need. So we'll charge you per session and no monthly meeting. So you find the current model that people use is you have lots of payments that lots of monthly charges. Because you don't use that USD code and even for a developer, for some developers, five ten thousand is a lot of money to pay monthly for the rentals of So we've changed that model completely. Done our map, and we sort of you can just pay for what you use. So those are things, and this we're really targeting the students, for example. A student should be able to do his university projects with a hundred shillings. Not necessarily having to put off the upfront cost of ten, fifteen thousand, or hundred thousand. So, so you said like two shillings per session. Per session. Can you define a session? 
A session is the entire, if you've ever checked your bank balance, you dial probably KCB star 522, enter your PIN, you select your balance, you check account, the account, okay. until you get your balance at your end. That is it. That thing is expensive. It's, it depends. So you said there's two billion. There's billion to the end user, there's yeah. billion to the person receiving. So in this case, we have free to the end user, two shillings to the, yeah, to, to the person who is receiving the requests. Okay. Yes. So it's like, so for the whole process, it will be just two, two shillings. Yes. Yeah. That is, that the person who is receiving the requests, the developer business. Do you have other products? We have a payment gateway that we tried tested and but we tested it for three years. We just opened it up to the public. Uh, it's called Hella Plus. That in itself will give you the entire suite of payments. Receiving payments, setting up payments, sending business to business payments, which is B2B. Uh, and in this talking to Safaricom, talking to Airtel, talking to Equity One. We are still working on a number of other channels. So that in itself seamless integration to your system and at some Really, really affordable rates. And one thing we've, we've really centered around reliability. Green developers really centered around reliability. And I dare say we are one of the first APIs to give you three forms of reliability. One is we send requests to you. If you're not available, we'll retry that request. And in case after you've received the request, you lose that data, you can still fetch that request. And eventually you can replay it as We faced it as developers. We know what happens. Sometimes the server goes down. Uh, but you still need transactions that uh, happened yesterday to still come to your server. We'll replay those there's a, there's a question I kind of forgot to ask. I, I, I have to ask you. So one thing I've noticed um, is, is how spot on you guys were in matching people's skills and abilities to the roles that they have in the company currently. How did that come about? Was it like intentional or did people drift? So obviously it's, it's sort of happened slowly. Everyone was a developer when we met. We did not assign anyone. So slowly by slowly people moved into their roles and you see this person is good at talking to clients. They would easily go into either business or project management. This person has like 16-18 hours concentration or go into backend development. This, this, this person probably is more of an Android guy. Uh, yes, so that's the sort of how it built up design. Someone has an eye to detail, so that person goes into design. So it happens sort of naturally. I have now standard questions. Yes, just going to be asking everyone who comes on to the podcast. What is your opinion on adverts? I'll say adverts, it's someone's opinion. I've talked a lot today, and that's my opinion. What I, what, I, what I consider it is opinions and advice is what you need to add, filter it, what, what to take. One thing I've really appreciated when it comes to advice is people who are facing your problems or just have solved your problems. Those days are like gold. Because what they tell you is what they've gone through. How do you source for information? Of course, we try to be smart lazy in some point where you make sure the information is being pushed to you as opposed to a pool. So the number of newsletters signed up to uh, and then there are a number of really good groups, WhatsApp group I am in and telegram groups that sort of save information. From time to time I go for events that I are of interest so I'm able to sort of catch up on the field. Do you have a piece of knowledge? It can be either a book, an article, a documentary, podcast, 
any, anything that you find yourself frequently going back to? Quite a number. It is for software in itself. There is a site called 12 Factor. 12 Factor app. I think someone really spent time to just summarize. Summarize, I would say, the philosophy of software development. Uh, of course, there are, there are things that I go back to when I'm trying to reset back to basics. Uh, and basics means even in life, the things you, you see that worked so many years ago, you still go back to read uh, and motivate yourself. Uh, there is things that you just do for fun. I read Crazy Ideas by Dilbert, book, Scott Adam. There's some crazy ideas that I read from time to time. One thing you'd like people to know or to pay attention to more. It depends about what about life, about anything generally life, work, your your gut for your guts. One single thing that I do. Me, I want people to just have the confidence to just trust me. It's 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 just a, a result of so many experiences we've gone through. And most of the time it's right. In fact, I dare say all the time it's right. So just trust, pay attention, listen to what is there, and 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 take it. I would say take it as an experiment. By an experiment is you don't punish yourself for things don't work. Good stuff. So where can people find you? Mostly I use the name Leo, L-E-F-N-Y-O. So. Even online, you just find me at Leo from the website to Facebook, Twitter, L E Y O C O S K, Leoposki. Then Instagram, the same, Leoposki, but uh, mostly on mail and WhatsApp. And then, of course, you can always come to our office, especially evening hours. Where is your office? Our office is in, in Kindaruma, junction between Kindaruma and Kamburu Drive, Kilimani. Uh, just uh, the, the next street after Ngong Road, we are in China Center, the next street, so we have a shack. Just next to a shack, it is a building called the Plaza, of course, the Plaza is a building called Blue Violets. We are on third floor, so it's 306. Feel free to come, give us a shout. Send me an email, leo, L-E-O, at D-E-V-S, dot M-O-B-I. Leo and Devs in Mobile. I read all my emails, so I reply. Awesome. Thanks, man, for doing this. This is fantastic. This has been an episode of We Are Just Doing Us, a podcast where we explore the human condition from several African perspectives. I am your host, Abu Okari. You can find this on Anchor FM or on your favorite podcasting platform.